Good morning, everybody. Is this okay? Do I sound all right? Too loud? Too quiet? Have I got my lift? I told you before, my senior pastor never let me speak with one of these because it makes me sound like I've got a lift. Do I have a lisp or am I okay? <laughs> okay. Oh, drawing attention to myself already. So good morning, everybody. Great to be with you here in church. How are you? There you go. It was windy. How's that? Is that, am I there now? I should have taken lessons from Brittany before I came. So... Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Roger Davis. Uh, as you can tell from the way that I talk with my posh accent, uh, I come from Liverpool. Uh, yes, supporting the mighty Reds that trounced United last night while we slept even. Uh, we're that good. And uh, so uh, as I've known Barry and Vicky for many years now. And so uh, just love them to bits, love your pastors to bits. And I love coming here. There's such a great spirit of praise. Uh, a heart that is just sold out for Jesus. And there's something very special about your church, about you as people. And uh, it's a great privilege to be able to come and speak to you uh, this morning for the next five hours. So um, we're going to have a great time. And uh, as <laughs> some of you look really serious at that point. You mean you're kidding me. I've got the food on. He's going to go for five hours. Um, so you can, you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, just put your finger there. Because that's going to be the main, the main passage that we look at a little bit later. Um, but just as a way of an introduction, um, have you ever thought that God wants you to do well in life? Is that a conviction that you have in your heart? Um, John's letters, when he's writing his letters to the churches, you know, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, uh, very conveniently now put with numbers. But then he was, just, he was a pastor, he'd been exiled, he was writing uh, a father's heart to the church. Um, and he was really communicating with them the heart of your father in heaven to say, look, this is, this is how your father feels about you. And in the third letter, he says, dearly beloved, See, this is where my posh accent can come in now and I can make this sound all very Anglican. Dearly beloved, he says, I, I long for you to prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It's a beautiful verse. It's, it communicates the heart of your heavenly Father to you that he longs for you to prosper in all things and to be in health just as your soul now prospers because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now cleansed, forgiven, you are sat in a heavenly place with Him. I mean, that's prospering, isn't it? He says, in the same way that your soul now prospers, I long for you to prosper in every area of your life. Now, part of the problem is that there's been this sort of prosperity gospel, you know, name it and claim it, uh, money will fall from the sky. And we've kind of chucked out the baby with the bathwater. And now we lower our expectations and just think, well, you know, I just survive uh, and that's how we thrive. And little old me. But actually, God wants to lift your expectation to understand that he wants you to prosper in every area of your life, in your relationships with your family, in your health, with your finances, in your spiritual walk with Him. He wants you to prosper in all areas of your life. Now, if you understand what prospering actually means, what, what John had in mind was this, that he saw it like you're going on a journey to accomplish some goals, that he wants you to accomplish goals in every area of your life so that you feel like you're making progress 
that you are achieving things, that you're not the same person that you were a year ago because you've actually changed and moved forward. And that's what his heart is here, that he wants you to feel like you're going on a journey to success, that you're starting to achieve, get bigger, wider, become more influential in every sphere of your life. But your expectation is really important because you live up to the expectation that you have for your life. Did you realise that? So you've probably heard of the experiment that was done in America. It was done in a high school, in a secondary school. And this head teacher, he got um, three teachers to one side. He said, guys, I've pulled you into my office because you're the three best teachers in this particular subject area. I think it was mathematics, maths. He said, you're the best three teachers in the school in maths. So what I'm going to do for you this year is I'm going to give you the best 90 kids in the school at maths. Because I think if I can match up the best 90 kids with the best three teachers, we're going to have fantastic results. Teachers feel absolutely, you know, over the moon. They just feel, you know, they puff their chests out. They're thinking, wow, we're the best. So they have an assembly and the head says, right, guys, to the whole year group, he says, I have selected the best 90 kids at maths to work with the best three teachers in my school for the next year. We have very high hopes for you. We're combining the best kids with the best teachers. You're going to go for it. I don't know what happened to the others. (laughs) They never tell you that in the experiment. So over that year, these kids perform outstandingly, better than they'd even expected because there was this synergy between teacher and child. And at the end of the year, they got the results and they they were fantastic. They were amazing results. And when, they, when they, uh, they sort of got them together, the head got everyone together in the assembly room and he said, well, as expected, you 90 kids did fantastically well. He said, but I'd like to let you into a secret. You were not the 90 best kids in the school at maths. So now the teachers are feeling brilliant because they're thinking, well, we were the three best teachers in the school and therefore we really did a fantastic job. And he said, I'd like kids to let you into another secret. These aren't the best three teachers in my school of math. (laughs) And suddenly their bubble was burst. But isn't it incredible, the power of expectation? You see, if you have an expectation that something's going to change, that something's going to improve, you live up to that expectation. I love it when Jesus as a baby was being dedicated in the temple. It says of Simeon, he was an old guy. But he says he was faithfully expecting that God would bring help to his people. I love that. A guy in however old he was, 70s, 80s, 90s, still filled with expectation that God is still going to work and move in his life and he gets to dedicate Jesus Christ. You see, that's a beautiful spirit of faith, the power of expectation in your life. So my question to you this morning is, what are you expecting in your life until the end of the year? What are you expecting in your life for the next 12 months? This time next year, what would you like your life to look like? Are you expecting the same old, same old? Do you feel like you're a hamster on a wheel, just going round and round and round, stopping for a bit of water and then going round and round and round again? Or do you feel like there's an upward lift of the Holy Spirit in your life that is saying, no, this year is going to be another year where you prosper, you move forward, you accomplish some goals, you achieve some things that you're going to look back in 12 months time and your life's not going to be the same again. Now, do you want to know the secret to prospering? Because it's in the Bible. It's in Proverbs 21, verse 5. And it's my favourite proverb ever this year. And it says, Proverbs 21, verse 5 says this. It says, steady plodding brings prosperity. Hasty speculation is the second part of this, leads to ruin. 
Now let's just think about the first part. Steady plodding brings prosperity. How many of you like to plod steadily? Just show by lifting your hand. No one. We don't like it, do we? The thought of plodding steadily does not excite my soul. I would rather do it in a day. I'd rather go on a roller coaster than the monorail when I go to a theme park. Is anybody with me? It's a far better exciting ride than going on the monorail. But you know, there is the problem is that in our society, we are a microwave mentality. Put it in the microwave, ping it for three minutes, get it out again, and then what? We've got food. But that's in every area of our life. That's why people do foolish things with money. Because they think, if I can't have it today, I might as well play the lottery because then I can get everything. I'll just find the money tree somewhere and and then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be wealthy. So many people that win the lottery die miserably. They've squandered all their money because they never actually learned how to accumulate it in the first place. They just knew how to spend it. So the Bible actually says, look, to prosper, to do well, for you to expand in every area of your life, it's got to involve plodding. Sorry, sorry to bore some of you. Sorry to depress some of you. Sorry to just, this is not about get rich quick, you know, a fab diet that just suddenly gets you really healthy and slim in 30 days. It's about doing great things over a long period of time consistently that brings prosperity to your life. The steady small steps, the daily disciplines that make a difference. There is no magic pill, silver bullet, ancient code, money tree. It's just doing smart things well for long enough. I sat down and I was at a, um, through my work, I work for a company called Genestar. We do financial education. And uh, our boss, Jeff Letts, some of you may know, he'd arranged for us to have a, um, like a seminar with one of the guys in America who's built a business doing what we do over, over time. He earns $750,000 a year. So we went down, had this sort of seminar, and you're kind of expecting the magic, you know, so this is how I did it, you know, and, and I did it in a day. He says, do you know, this started with my dad. I thought, oh, that's interesting. My dad began this business when I was in my teens. And then when I left uh, high school, university, I started working with him part-time. He said, then I started to build the business, and now my children are involved in this business, and just this year, we earned $750,000 for the year. However, it's taken us 35 years, plus five years, to get to this point. And he said, and through that time, there's been challenges, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been highs, there's been lows, but we are now in this place. Now, most of us would go to that and think, I want the $750,000 a year, come on, show me. But very few of us would be prepared to build something for 35 years to actually get to that point, wouldn't we, if we're honest? Because that takes commitment, that takes hard work, that takes discipline, doing smart things long enough to get to that place where you're now in a free place. And I found that really challenging. In our business, we get asked quite a lot, where can I put my money? Where can I invest my money? Now, sometimes that's asked very legitimately, but I know that a lot of people ask me that question 
because they want to get rich quick. They're wanting me to give them the answer of where they can put their money and make rapid returns quickly. I get asked so many questions, for example, about Bitcoin. (laughs) Isn't Bitcoin the best thing ever? Should we be putting all our money in Bitcoin? Well, if you're prepared to lose all your money, put your money in Bitcoin. You know, because it's just, it's like you might as well go and put your money on a horse and say, let's hope this one wins. That's not part of plodding. That's actually hasty speculation. So actually being smart with money is a consistent thing that you do over a long period of time. There is no such thing as an overnight success. It's interesting, Barry was talking about Hillsong. Hillsong was founded in 1981. But it didn't start with Brian Houston. It actually started with his dad, Frank Houston, who had moved from New Zealand to Australia and had started building a church. So the history of Hillsong probably goes back even before 1981, into the 1970s, and now we go, oh, wouldn't we all love to be Hillsong? But you don't see the backstory. The Beatles spent 10,000 hours, they reckon, doing live gigs in Germany before anyone even knew they were any good. 10,000 hours of practice, of every night just hitting these small, tiny clubs in Germany where no one could even understand their language and what they were singing. Maybe. (laughs) Costa Coffee, everybody's favourite coffee house, began in 1971. A vintage year. Very special people were born. In 1971, has uh, 3,000 stores now in many different countries, but it started in 1971 with two Italian brothers in London roasting coffee. That's steady plodding. That's not an overnight success. But you see, we're kind of fooled into thinking that success does happen overnight. But it's not actually how life really works because prosperity involves plodding steadily the seemingly small, insignificant choices that we make every day are actually what makes the difference. So it's actually about the compounding of good decisions multiplied and layered on top of good decisions that multiply and compound on more great decisions that ultimately take you to a place where you go, wow, I'm prospering in my health. I'm prospering in my relationships. I'm prospering in my finance. Now, let me give you an example of the compound effect. Let's say that you worked for a boss for 31 days and they gave you two ways of being paid. The boss says either you can be paid a million pounds at the end of the 31 days or on day one, I'm going to give you a penny, but every day I'm going to double that in value for 31 days. How many of you would take the million pounds? (laughs) It's windy in here. A couple of you. Some of you are thinking, hang on, steady plodding. Okay, maybe this is a trick question. What if I upped it to two million pounds? Would you take the two million pounds for 31 days now? Yes, two million, you're banking that. What if I upped it to three million pounds? Now, how many of you would take the three million for 31 days work? All of us. (laughs) Let's find the employer that gives us that. Okay, well, listen, after day five, your penny is worth 16p and your colleagues rolling around in three million pounds of money. After day 10, you've now earned five pounds 12, and your colleague is rolling around in three million. They're living the dream, they're living on the yacht, they're downing bubbly, and you can only just about afford a happy meal at McDonald's. On day 20, you now have 5,000, 
242 pounds, feeling a bit better about yourself, but your friend's still living the dream. But on day 31, you receive 10.7 million pounds, and now your friend's looking at you quite jealously. You see, the maths didn't change over 31 days. The decisions didn't alter over 31 days. It just kept doubling every day. But the effect at the end was an acceleration where suddenly there was an increase in the prosperity. And that you can apply to every area of your life. I broke my shoulder, tragic accident, skiing, knocked me out of the first day that of my holiday. And I had to have an operation on my shoulder. I think I've said this to some of you before. And what was really interesting after the operation was I could only move this arm like this. That was, that was the only movement I had in my arm. And I went to see the physio and she was really worried about me because I should have been doing my exercises from the first day that I got out of the hospital bed and I'd done nothing for two weeks. So she put me on this really intensive physio kind of course to get movement back in my arm. But what was really interesting was that all I was being asked to do was just really small movements in my arm. Nothing dramatic but it was just steady every day, four times a day, just small movements. I can't even remember all the exercises now, but just to get that shoulder moving again. And over a six-month period, as I four times a day for half an hour, as I started doing this and started doing the birdie song and all the other things it had to do, it, it started to unlock the shoulder again until I finally got full movement. But if I despised doing that and thinking, well, you know, this arm can do that, but this one can just do that, I'm not going to do that, this arm would have stayed small forever. It would have stayed locked in its position forever. I had to be prepared to do small things at the start to get the full movement again in the end. And it's the same in our lives. You've got to make small choices every day. Is it a burger or the salad? <laughs> Is it the chocolate cake? Or the fruit bowl? <laughs> it, do you give the card sho uh, cold shoulder or do you kind of find forgiveness? It's, do you say words of kindness or do you just kind of tell someone they're no good? It, it's small choices every day that build up, that eventually explode in every area of your life, either positively or negatively. And they seem so small and insignificant. But the Bible says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Small things are small things, but faithfulness in a small thing is a great thing. That's what Hudson Taylor said when he was launching mission in China. A small thing is just a small thing, but faithfulness in a small thing is a great thing because it leads to great things. Let me give you an example of three guys, three friends, okay? They're all in their 40s. Uh, they all live in semi-detached houses. They all earn 30,000 a year. They've all got a wife and 2.2 kids. And uh, they all support Liverpool Football Club. Of course they would. Now, these three friends, they make some choices. One of them, we'll call them Barry. <clears throat> um, he decides he's going to read a book. 10 pages a day. He's going to listen to 30 minutes of an inspiring audio CD in the car. Maybe it's the Bible, maybe it's some other kind of teaching from a church, maybe it's just some stuff that challenges the way he thinks. He's just not going to nibble the snacks. He's going to save himself 125 calories a day, not by totally transforming his diet, but just maybe not having the bowl of cereal at night for supper. 
He's going to drink two bottles of water extra a day. And he's going to walk 2,000 steps a day. That's what Barry decides to do. Tony decides he's going to do nothing. Tony likes his life. He just likes it. He's just going to kind of do the same old, same old. (laughs) And their friend Roger decides he's just going to kind of, you know, when he's out, he'll just get the cheeseburger. Drive through McDonald's only takes five minutes. There's so many of them now. You can just find them on every street corner. So just, you know, maybe a few times a week, he just treats himself because he deserves it. He's been working hard. He hasn't had time to make sandwiches that day. So he just helps himself to the cheeseburger. And he starts to order Diet Coke because Diet Coke's better, you know, Coke Zero is better than regular full fat. Instead of water, he moves a little bit less. He parks his car right next to the entrance of every supermarket he goes to, even if it's in the disabled parking. He just doesn't want to walk anymore. He just decides he's going to become a little bit less mobile. I forgot to mention, Barry takes his wife on date night every week, and Roger decides when he's having arguments with his wife, he'll just storm out and give her the cold shoulder. Now, there's three guys all in their 40s, all look exactly the same, but they've made some small decisions. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that that actually doesn't have a big impact. And to start with, it doesn't. We all go out after a few months, we're having a bit of a laugh, and we're just comparing notes. And Barry's getting really miffed, because Tony's just doing the same old, same old, and I'm slobbing out, and we all seem to be having the same kind of results. In fact, after a year, there's no real change. But do you know that after 27 months, that's two years and three months, Barry will have read 47 books, He'll have listened to 465 hours of great teaching on his audio CD. He'll have drunk 3,720 gallons of water. He'll have lost over two stone by taking out 125 calories a day. He'll have lost another two stone. He might be like a rake by now for walking an extra 9,000 miles in that, uh, 900 miles in that time. And in fact, um, well, we'll only imagine what his marriage is like if he's been going on date nights every week. <laughs> Tony, Tony is like most of us, treading water, perhaps just moving a little bit further behind slowly, a bit disengaged, a bit more just a bit more bored with life, blaming Theresa May for everything, that kind of thing. Just disgruntled, but kind of just steady. Me, on the other hand, it's bad news. I've gained gained probably about two and a half stone just by eating the extra junk food and maybe an extra stone and a half by not doing any walking. I could be on the verge of a cardiac arrest and who knows where my marriage will be if I've been giving my wife the cold shoulder every time we've had an argument. Now, it's funny, isn't it? Because to begin with, we think nothing's changed. But over two and a half years, we're in completely different places because we made small decisions that had a big impact over a significant period of time. But here's the problem. Because we don't see the change immediately, we don't make the change. Or we give up on the change. Have you ever been to the gym and you do it for a week and you look at your body and you're so disappointed that you don't now look like some kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger from his 20s? And you think, right, this doesn't work. Gym doesn't work for me. I must have the wrong metabolism. I must have the wrong body. This thing doesn't work. It works for Arnold. It doesn't work for me. Have you ever thought like that? You have, haven't you? We all do. It's because it needs to be consistently applied for a long period of time. And maybe some illegal steroids if you want to look like Arnold. It's called the compound effect. It's the compounding of great choices in your life that get layered on top of each other and multiplied again and again and again. Einstein 
called Compound Interest, the eighth wonder of the world. He said, those that understand this principle earn it and those that don't pay for it because you can start with 17 pounds a year when a child is born and the compounding of that 17 pounds a year by the time they're 67 at a good return of about 8% will be half a million pounds. Now here's the problem. We start 17 pounds a month and then suddenly we think, oh, do you know what? We really need a holiday. Oh, we put some money away for our child, didn't we, when they were born and now they're five, oh, they're not gonna need that money. Why don't we just take that money out and go on a holiday? We can start again. Then we start again. They're five now. We put the 17 pounds a month away and maybe they get to 15 or 16 or 17. They need driving lessons. Right, let's take that money out. We've got the money there. There's the driving lessons. We can start again. So we do the 17 pounds and we start building up the 17 pounds again. And then they're going through a difficult time. at you. Right, let's take the money out of the fund again. So we constantly take from our future to pay for our today. If you left that 17 pounds there, found another way of funding these things, or living a slightly smaller life for a while, that just compounds to half a million pounds by the time the child is 67. Who could retire on half a million pounds comfortably? I could. But because we don't think like that, we never apply it. So we don't actually get to that place where we've actually got more than we need. It's the same in every area of our lives. The compounding impact of daily, small, insignificant choices that totally transform your life. Now, I think Moses is a fantastic example of this. And that's why I wanted you to look at Hebrews 11. You see, when you watch, what's it called, the Prince of Egypt and all the rest of it, it seems like it happened in a week. (laughs) But Moses' life was kind of in three portions, like three parts of a play. Do you know, he left Egypt at the age of 40. He returned to rescue God's people at the age of 80. So it's like 40 years in the palace, 40 years in the wilderness, and then at the age of 80, went and led God's people out from Egypt. Now, we don't think like that because we've watched the cartoon or some kind of movie and he never gets older. So we just think, wow, this guy is just like in his 20s and he's 25. And it all happens very quickly. But this guy had to make some tough choices, some good choices, apply them over a significant period of time and then eventually walk into the full purposes that God had for him. We want them all tomorrow. God, what's my purpose? Show me today and now I'm gonna do it. But I think God weaves the tapestry of your life, every little part of it, every little thread of it into a picture that you look back probably in your 60s and go, wow, now I see how that bit of my life fits into what I'm doing now. Now I see, I understand how that challenge that I came through and God was faithful in has applied it to my situation now. We probably don't really enter into the fullness of what God has for us till we're between 55 and 65 if we've been making great small choices through a period of time. Because now we see the fulfilment of everything as this incredibly rich tapestry of our lives and we go, I found the sweet spot. So let's just see what it says in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 24. I think it's gonna come on the screen as well. Uh, It says, by faith, Moses' parents, no, it doesn't, by faith, (laughs) it still says by faith. Verse 24, by faith, (laughs) Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So listen, if you've now bought into this fact that you need to make some good, smart choices on a regular basis to actually start to prosper, let me get you some wisdom from this passage on how you can do that. The first thing that strikes me about this passage is it says, and actually it says it repeatedly over and over again in Hebrews 11, by faith. By faith. Moses acted by faith. Now we get a definition of faith at the beginning of the chapter that says this, confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not yet see. So when you decide to tweak something, whether it's change your diet and stop eating sweets or drink more water or read more of your Bible for 15 minutes of a day, you've got to apply faith to your action because you are not going to see a result at the end of that day. When you choose an apple over chocolate cake, when you eat an apple, it doesn't actually feel that good, does it? But when you eat chocolate, it's like boom in your mouth. (laughs) So when you eat the apple... You're kind of waiting for a result. Nothing happens. You still pinch more than an inch. I thought, oh. They had chocolate cake. I had apple. You've got to apply faith. Because you know that over time, you're going to see something that you can't see right now. When a farmer sows his seed, does he get out the combine harvester in the afternoon and go, here we go, lads, we're going to just bring in the harvest? No. He has to wait months before he can harvest what he sowed. So you've got to apply faith to your actions. So many of us, because we don't see instant results, we stop, we quit. Or we blame someone else because we think it's not working. Maturity says, I sow and reap. Do you know when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they were enslaved, first of all in Egypt, Then they were in the wilderness and they relied on handouts. Then they went to the place where God intended for them to be, which was a place of abundance and had more than they needed. But they had to do something different there. They had to sow and reap. They had to work the ground. But that was the place of maturity. Do you know what? I know this is hard to believe, but I do not tie up the shoelaces of my 15-year-old child anymore. (laughs) I did when she was just learning to walk and get dressed. I, I, I did her shoes up. But it would be a bit of an odd father that said, oh, come on, sweetheart, <laughs> you're off to school today. And she's 15. Let me just do up your laces. Now you can go. She's got to mature. She's got to learn to tie up her own laces. We have to learn to sow and reap. Rather than just say, God, I need another miracle. You've got to bail me out again. Now, listen, I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles today. For sure he does in our health, in every area of our lives. But... There is a place where God wants to take us to where we've applied principles of wisdom that mean because we've sown, we're now reaping a harvest in our lives. It's, I mean, I love this. It's quite hard hitting for Moses. It says, by faith, when he had grown up. <laughs> he was a, bit of a, he was a bit, <laughs> bit of a baby when he was in Egypt, living in the palace because he was pampered. He had to grow up. When you start sowing and reaping, that's saying, I take responsibility now for the actions and the decisions that I'm making. 
I've got to sow something if I want something back. And you've got to be careful what you sow. If you want watermelons, don't sow mangoes. <laughs> don't know where that came from, really. But it's just a thought. But you know what I mean? You can't sow bad words and expect positive to come back because you're sowing bad words. You can't sow things that are negative and expect things to become positive back to you because you're sowing the wrong thing. In your family, what are you sowing in the way that you talk? Because that will be what you reap. At work, what are you sowing? Do you get there late? Are you, you know, are you just kind of a bit slovenly? Or have you got a great attitude? Because it's what you sow that you will reap. And sometimes we sow badly and then say, God, come on, where's the miracle? Well, here's the second thing that Moses applied. It was delayed gratification. Now, this is a toughie because we all like it today, don't we? We want to be gratified today. We want all the pleasures now and we're quite happy to pay for it later. The good decision now that has no immediate reward versus the poor decision now that feels fantastic is a very tough test to pass. Do you know, they did an experiment with kids and marshmallows and it's the cruelest experiment because they put a child in the room, they'd put in one marshmallow and they'd say, now listen, while I'm gone, you can eat that marshmallow But if you don't eat it, when I come back, I'm going to give you two. How would you have done in that test? I think I'd have failed really badly. I'd have eaten the marshmallow. (laughs) But this is interesting. Most most of the kids ate the marshmallow and about a quarter of them delayed the gratification because they wanted two later. And these are only young kids, you know, four or five years old. But what they then did was they studied these kids through life into adulthood and they found that the kids that succeeded the most, they had the best jobs, they had the most stable homes and families, were the kids that had delayed the gratification when they were young and said, I'll wait for the two marshmallows, thanks. Isn't that interesting? That if you can delay the reward, even when you don't get it immediately, but still make the right choice, you get a reward later that is far better than the reward you were getting and giving yourself in the instant moment. But you've got to delay the gratification. You see, of Moses, it says that um, he, was, he chose not the palace because he was looking ahead for a reward that was coming from his Father in heaven. So he was prepared to put aside all the riches of Egypt, all the pampering that he got as a prince and say, no, there's a better reward later if I just make a choice now to leave all that behind and go and take what God has for me. And we have to make some tough choices sometimes, don't we, with the people we hang out with, with the decisions we make, even in terms of what we watch. But if we can just turn our back on things that we know aren't really too good for us because there's a reward of intimacy with our Father in heaven that is far better than all of that. We can walk into a place where we really feel like we're prospering. There's a guy called Jim Rowan. He wrote this. He was just a prolific writer and a, a kind of life coach, I suppose. And I think this is a really powerful quote. He says, In life, you will suffer one of two pains. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The pain of discipline weighs ounces. The pain of regret weighs tons. So it's a really heavy quote, but it's very profound. In life, we're going to suffer. We are going to suffer. But we've got a choice of what pain we actually suffer from. It's either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. But the pain of discipline weighs ounces 
The pain of regret weighs tons. Here's the third thing about Moses that I love. He had a goal. He had vision. There was something that he wanted in his future that he could see with his imagination, even though he hadn't got it yet. He wanted to get rewards from his father in heaven rather than from his adopted father in earth. He wanted to receive the full purposes of heaven rather than just walk in the pleasantries of now. It says that he turned his back on those pleasures because he was looking ahead to the rewards that come through knowing Christ is Saviour. Can I ask you this? Do you have a vision for your future? Do you just have some goals of where you'd like your life to be in 12 months? And have you written those things down? Because if you're not aiming for anything, you'll probably hit it. If you have a sense of purpose about your life, if you sense that there's, look, I want to change something, I want to move forward, I want to progress, well, now you've got a much better chance of actually achieving that because you know what you're aiming for. It's very hard to help someone else get to where they want to be if they don't know where they want to be themselves. Have a definite plan. Have a desire for your future. God has no problem in giving out rewards. Have you noticed that in the New Testament, there's at least seven crowns that He wants to give us. The crown of life, the crown of righteousness. There are crowns upon crowns He wants to give us. But sometimes we just don't desire them enough. So start thinking about your future. Whether you are 20 or 200, start thinking about your future. Because on earth, it's just a moment. In heaven, it's for all eternity. But what are the rewards you want to receive? And start to make small choices now that realign your actions with achieving those rewards. We're running out of time very quickly. I love the fact that it says for Moses, he had to persevere. Even Moses had to persevere. This guy could part the Red Sea. This guy could command that the 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 river Nile would turn into blood, but he still had to learn how to persevere. He had to keep going. He couldn't quit. I once read that big shots are little shots that just kept shooting. <laughs> the problem is we, we, we find it so easy to just bail when it gets hard and when it hurts. Just keep going and don't quit. Prosperous and impoverished people have one thing in common. They hate the daily disciplines to be successful. The difference is that successful people do it anyway. I, I don't think anybody likes discipline. Do they? You'd have to be kind of sadistic or, or something. <laughs> but the difference is some do it anyway and some don't. Question is which camp are you going to be in? because we've got to persevere even when it's tough. You know, Sylvester Stallone, he went to a thousand different movie companies to try and fund Rocky. A thousand. And the reason they kept turning him down was they didn't want him to star in the movie. They wanted, who was big in those days? Anyway, some big movie hotshot to be the leading role. And he said, no, you can have my script, but I'm, hey, Clint Eastwood, could you imagine as Rocky? And he said, no, 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 I've got a star in this role. It was so tough, he even had to sell his own dog to stay alive while he was trying to get someone to agree to put the money in. And you know, I mean, a lovely little side story, when he finally got the funding, uh, his dog is the dog that's in the movie. He bought his dog back and put him in the movie. But a thousand no's to achieve his goal. 
That's some perseverance, isn't it? A thousand no's. How many no's are you prepared to receive for you to achieve the goals that are important to you? Persevere. Don't give up. Muhammad Ali said, I've hated every early morning workout I've ever had in my whole career, but I love being world champion. (laughs) I love that quote. I've hated every early morning workout ever, 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 ever. But I love how it feels to be world champion. Let's just wrap this up. Here's the final thought. It says this, By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood. You see, what I love about that is that for Moses, he basically, this is a a kind of a picture of our communion where blood was sacrificed to find his freedom. And he says he kept applying the Passover. He kept remembering that it was only the blood that was shed of an innocent lamb that actually meant that he could prosper and succeed in his life. And I think this is such an important part of us being able to make small choices that take us to a better future. Because we've got to remind ourselves every day of the promises that come through the blood of Jesus Christ. That if God gave His own Son the most precious thing He had for you and me, how much more will He graciously give us everything that we need? You see, if you can apply the Passover if you can apply the sacrifice of the perfect lamb to your life on a daily basis and say, Father God, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Father God, I I know that I don't have to be 100% brilliant for you to love me because you paid the price through your own son. But because you gave him for me, I'm now whole, I'm righteous, I'm cleansed. I am loved by you because you are for me and not against me. I know that today I can make a choice that ushers in my future, even if it seems odd or painful, because I know that the best is yet to come. And we apply the blood of Jesus Christ again and again and again. Because through that we are free we start to have the compound effect that every year our lives get bigger, better. We seem to keep moving forward. We look back, we're amazed because we were prepared to make the small choices, the tiny steps, the small insignificant decisions that led to a place of freedom in our lives. Come on, why don't we stand? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank You that You are for each and every one of us here this morning. Lord, that Your promise for us is that we would prosper in all things and be in health. And we want to thank You, Lord, that it stems from a promise that our souls right now prosper in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that You give us the spirit of wisdom, Lord, to make great choices, even today, even when we don't see an immediate impact, choices that start to change our lives in the area of our health, in the area of our finance, in the areas of our relationships, and in the area of our walk with You. Lord Jesus, give us the same Spirit that was in Moses, that by faith we make choices that usher in Your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' Name, Amen.